business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. Have you ever wanted to know, you know, how a restaurant is valued or how are they sold? You know, you see them all over. I mean, they're everywhere. You know, they're, they, there is a restaurant in nearly every corner in every strip center, everywhere. And each of those businesses, you know, have a family behind them. And that family is dependent upon the, not only the, the earnings ability of that particular business, but also when it goes to sell or when they go to sell. And so today I'm excited to have Steve Weinbaum of We Sell Restaurants. Um, he is out of Atlanta and their, their shop is called We Sell Restaurants.com and they, they go across country and represent various, various businesses, whether it be, you know, owner operated, absentee owned, franchises, independents. And so on this episode, we, we dive deep on what makes these types of businesses valuable and how you sell them. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Steve Weinbaum. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. On this podcast, I interview buyers, sellers, deal makers, and other professional advisors on what creates value in a business and then how those businesses can effectively be sold at a premium value. So on today's show, I'm so excited to welcome Steve Weinbaum of We Sell Restaurants. One of the things, one of the things that, um, that has always been a challenge in selling businesses, especially in the food business, is just the level of complexity that people so, so underestimate, uh, how to operate it. And so I'm really excited to have Steve on to, to talk about, you know, how businesses actually get sold because it, it's truly when you think about, you know, how many of those types of businesses are out there. You know, those are families that need to be able to sell those businesses. And we're, we're certainly excited to have Steve on to, to visit about, you know, how you can make that type of business saleable. So Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me, Ed. So before you came on, I was doing a little bit of an intro, but I thought maybe you could give me a little bit more of a, you know, kind of a high level, uh, overview of you and, and we sell restaurants. Sure. So, so my background is, is believe it or not, retail marketing. I uh, worked for Macy's for close to 25 years. And a lot of my responsibility is more on the finance side, the, the mm -hmm. planning and whatnot. So certainly in, in, in selling a business, as you alluded to, a lot of it's numbers. So I've got a strong numbers background. I also have a marketing and sales background. And then I, when I left retail, I went into the payments industry. You mentioned gift cards um, to me earlier before we started the show. And I work for a gift card company. And some of the most popular gift cards are franchise food gift cards. You know, the, the Red Lobsters of the world, the Dunkin' Donuts of the world. So I kind of got to learn the franchise world then. Um, and then eventually I, I kind of moved into selling restaurants about seven and a half years ago. 
Uh, I've known actually the owners, Robin and Eric, of We Sell Restaurants before the company even started. We worked together at Macy's and stayed in together, and 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 that's that's how I, I joined the company. Um, a little bit about We Sell Restaurants, which a lot of people don't know. So we're the only restaurant brokerage company that has a national footprint. You, you have a lot of local brokers, business brokers that specialize in a category, or you have big national brokers like Transworld or Sunbelt. We're unique in that we're national, but we only deal in restaurants, bars, uh, pubs, cafes, and, and things like that. And again, like I said, we are a franchise. So we have brokers and offices in many cities around the country, in Charlotte, in Denver, in Minneapolis. I'm a corporate broker. So anywhere we list a restaurant or have a restaurant that needs to be sold that's not in one of those markets, I take that listing. So I've sold them from Texas to Chicago to Atlanta to Michigan. Nice. So I guess I want to start with, you know, we're in this new post-COVID world. So where where is the deal-making industry for, for, for food and beverage? It's it's interesting because, you know, th- there were a lot of um, residual effects of COVID. And coming out of COVID, there were a lot less restaurants because some couldn't survive the pandemic, even though there was a, a fair amount of government assistance. But, but the ones that did survive came out a lot leaner and meaner, so to speak. Um, yeah. Certainly the proliferation of... Um, third-party delivery, Uber Eats, uh, Grubhub, DoorDash. Um, prior to COVID, I used to see that representing somewhere between 5 and 15% of a restaurant sales. Post-COVID, I can see it representing a third of their sales in some instances, especially it depends on the cuisine. Some cuisines travel very well. Italian mm-hmm. travels well, um, you know, uh, uh, subs travel well. So, 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 so those businesses actually got got better coming out of COVID where those restaurants that relied a lot on social gathering, had big footprints, um, mm-hmm. was more of an experiential type of uh, dining event. Those are the ones that suffered. But, um, you know, to answer your question, 2021 was a record year for, for We Sell Restaurants ahead of 2019 and pre-COVID. And then 22 is off the charts. We were up about 40%. In, in restaurant units sold, and again for for a myriad of reasons. So yeah, and and it's funny you say that because I I told you that I had I had been reading um, the most recent Biz by Sell Insights report, and and Robin, you know the co your co founder was um, she was she contributed that article mm-hmm. saying that restaurant sales across the board were up twenty percent. Um. So I guess where I, I the question is why 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 restaurants are up of all of all the businesses why would you know you you and and I guess I, I theorized that okay you know I COVID stress tested my business I got leaner I added a different profit center with delivery and now now I want to sell it uh, I mean that's only a theory but I mean. But there's got to be more than that, don't well, you think? Yeah. So we we have different categories of buyers. 
Right? Um, you always have the owner operator that's worked their whole life in the industry. They've been a chef, a manager. They've saved their their, their nickels and dimes, and now they want to work for themselves. Um, and, and that's always been a, a, a you know a strong member of the buying pool. As are the investors, the ones who want to buy multi units. They they don't want to be owner operators. They want enough EBITDA where they can be absentee or semi absentee owners. But but COVID, you know, there I know the, the the job market now is very solid, but there were tons of layoffs during COVID, and a lot of them were were, were corporate jobs, people making you know six figures. And the beautiful thing about selling a restaurant is as long as you have the verifiable earnings and books and records, which I think maybe we'll talk a little bit more about later, um, you can you, you can get a six-figure earnings owning a restaurant with as little cost of entry as two times earnings. Um, if you think about it, restaurants are constantly turning their inventory. So if you buy a liquor store, or you buy, you know, a retail store or something else that sells products. You also have to invest tens of thousands of dollars in inventory. Not so with a restaurant. Restaurants typically sell between a two and three multiple. So as I said, if you if you have to protect a hundred thousand dollar year income because you are in some some corporate, you know, middle management job, you can buy a restaurant for two hundred thousand, have some operating capital, and replace that that those earnings fairly quickly, as long as, again, you you work with a bit, an experienced business broker like you or I who knows how to validate the numbers and do the valuation. But but I think that's one of the reasons sales are up. Maybe some pent-up demand because no one was buying restaurants in the first half of, of, of 2020. So there yeah. may have been some pent-up demand. But again, if that article, um, Total business sales were flat to down compared to restaurants being up 20, which is a huge gap, which just shows the resiliency and desirability of the industry. Well, you had alluded to to staffing. And I know, I mean, it seems, at least in, in, in the markets we serve, it seems that staffing is so, so difficult. In fact, we were, um, so my daughter, um, Wait one second here. Oh, I, I got I had a, a little issue that, but I fixed that. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're, we're back to the question. So I had, you know, we we've, we've been seeing that that staffing is difficult. So my daughter, when she comes home from college, she is she is in, you know, one of the one of the higher end restaurants here in town, and I know they have had a terrible time keeping people and maybe it's just the market, but, but boy, it seems as though every play, every restaurant that we go to, including the one, you know, we're recording, you know, the day after Valentine's day, you know, those, we had a, we had a rough experience last night, my wife and I, um, you know, just due to, you know, shortage of help. And this is a, you know, a, a fairly high end restaurant. So it, I mean, so it, is it different in other markets that uh, staffing isn't the challenge? No, it's it's pretty consistent across the country. Oh, and, okay. you know, what what the phenomenon is, I don't know if it's just a, a change in, in attitude towards working or, you know, it, it's, you know, it is also one of the reasons some people are selling because they're they're tired of having mm -hmm. to deal with. The, the the staffing shortages. Okay. Um, I, I remember sell. I remember I had a a pub listed 
pre-COVID and it was listed for $250,000 based on a little over $100,000 a year in earnings. Mm-hmm. And then um, we took it off the market and then we took put it back on the market post-COVID. And I looked at the financials and the volume was there, but the earnings were down. And the earnings were down because that dishwasher that was $9.50 an hour is $13.50 an hour. You know, so yeah. um, people are demanding higher salaries. Uh, there's definitely still an issue. Um, you know, as we talked about, you know, post-COVID, you know, more delivery, more carry out. Um, right. it's, it's definitely an issue in the industry. And right. if you take that and layer on top of that, the supply chain issues, the, right. you know, the cost right. of a case of chicken going double in price. If you're a restaurant owner, you've got to be yeah. numbers savvy because restaurants, people, you know, people, you know, people always hear that your, your cost of goods should be less than one third of what you sell. So if you do, $750,000 a year in sales, your cost of goods should be 250 or less. But even with that number, restaurants work on a very slim margin. So if your cost of goods goes up five points and your labor goes up five or 10 points and you don't adjust prices accordingly, all your profits are gone. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to pay people yeah. what they deserve, but you also then have to build that into your, into your business model. Well, I'll tell you, when, as we were talking before we started, you know, we were down visiting Clemson and we were, we were at a Chick-fil-A and they were hiring at $28 an hour, $28. Now I haven't seen that, but that's, that's, that's remarkable. It it was. And it's like, clearly they're going, they're not going to have a staffing issue. And, and we were just, I mean, totally dumbfounded, you know, we're seeing 17, 18, dollars an hour here and mm-hmm. here in uh here in the midwest but boy oh boy what a like i said it, it and i think the important part that you that you said is that you it's one thing to pay them it's another thing not to adjust your prices to reflect mm-hmm. to, to keep those margins um my next question has to do with with independent restaurants mm-hmm. you know you know, I love independent restaurants. I, I, I think there's a personality that, that you can't, I don't want to say you can't get with a franchise, but often you can't, you know, and, and it's, it's a mom and pop and, and probably a family, you know, there's family members in there and, and I enjoy that. But, but part of it is that whole concept of personal goodwill that, you know, if, if Steve isn't there anymore, I don't want to come. <laughs> Cause I've been, I've been seeing Steve there for, you know, for 20 years. So are independent restaurants difficult to sell? So, and, and how do I make them say yeah. more saleable? So sometimes the answer is sometimes, you know, contrasting them or comparing them to franchises, franchises provide a comfort level because sure. you've got that corporate support, the corporate marketing, Someone to call, you know, if your point of sale system goes down or, or you're having issues, there are other franchisees in the market you can call on, you know, to ask questions and help. Um, they help you with supply chain and those other things. So, so there, there is a comfort level with franchises that inherently make them a little bit more sellable or easy to sell. Sure. But you're also paying for that comfort. I mean, you know, six, you know, 8% royalties and marketing fee is not 
uncommon with a franchise. Right. And when you're in an industry where where you're lucky if you're making 15% on your on your sales, that's a big bite. So you, you know, so so there are certainly advantages to owning and selling a franchise, but again, there there are also some challenges financially because of, of the royalty that you're paying. Now, shifting to independence, I said sometimes because it is the number one thing that you need when you're selling a restaurant is good books and records. You need to be able to verify and validate your sales and then also your, your earnings. So, you know, a point of sale system that you can run reports on to show what your true sales are, sales tax filings that then match your point of sale report. And then um, a P&L that ties back to all of those things is critical if you're if you're a uh, independent restaurant owner to, to have good books and records and then obviously keep up with all your expenses. That doesn't mean if you can legitimately put your life insurance or health insurance or auto or cell phone through the business. You know, look, those are all things that business owners do every day. But sure. as long as it's verifiable, then that doesn't count against you when you're doing the business valuation. Um, what makes an indip- and the, and so that that's the number one most important thing. Number two is longevity, uh, especially when you know you're trying to get lending. You want to have at least three years under your belt in, and at least two or three years of tax returns. Again, that are, are, you can validate to help sell your restaurant. So good books and records, at least three three years in the business, and then believe it or not, I get this question a lot. My lease is about to expire. I want to sell my restaurant. What should I do? Good leases help sell restaurants. So if you have a restaurant and you have a, a good long-term lease at a good rate, there's a good percent of sales, extend that as long as you can if you're looking to sell because that just takes one element out of the, out of the sales process. So yeah. with those things in mind, independents will sell as well or better than a franchise because they can be more profitable. And more flexible. And more flexible. One of the things that you, you brought up is the lease. And I'll tell you that, you know, I, I don't, it's not necessarily, I, I don't want to say I disagree with you, but I, I, from the standpoint of, you know, every landlord locks you down with that personal guarantee, you know, and it's like, all right, if my lease is expiring, I, you know, I don't know if I, if I want to go on the hook for another three or five years so I can sell the business. Um, but conversely, I'm, and, and again, I acknowledge I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but you know, conversely, it's, you know, our advice to every business owner, regardless of the type of business is to operate your business as if we're going to be unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. So what yep. would, so what would you do? Um, well, let me just address that for one second, because we could do a yeah. whole segment just on leases. Sure. Um, <laughs> right. We're landlords. Some are great and some are right. not so great. We'll leave it there. No offense to any Amen. landlords. Listening. Amen to that. But, you know, you bring up a good point, that personal guarantee. Um, and not to go off, off track, but I would say 90% of the sellers I work with when it comes time to talk about the lease and they see the lease assignment and they see that verbiage that none of this releases the seller from their, 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 mm-hmm. their, their liability. And sometimes even through, through continued options to extend, you're right. If, if you know you're going to sell your business, and you want, and, and again, you have a great lease, you want to extend mm-hmm. it and not give the landlord the chance to leverage that, that sale transaction, negotiate out the personal guarantee. 
I mean, you know, look, I mean, everything in life is negotiable and we work some very strong real estate attorneys if necessary, but you can, you can, you can limit your exposure to one year on a personal guarantee. It doesn't have to be the whole length of, of the lease. You can have it phase out after X number of, of um, on-time payments. Or if you're, if you've been with that landlord five or 10 years and you want to renew, you say, you know, look, you know me, let's just eliminate the personal guarantee at this point and I'll be happy to renew for another five or 10 years. So there are certainly a lot of techniques and approaches to take with the lent. You won't always be successful, but again, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Well, you know, those, those mid, mid term leases, you know, where there's a few years left and that, and there's that personal guarantee and there, and, and boy, it's like, man, I may have to take some seller financing and I've, I'm stuck if this guy or this woman can't yep. can't operate this business. It, so I I recognize I recognize that risk, but boy oh boy. Um, okay, the so we had t- you, we, earlier we started talking a little bit about financial metrics, and and I know you said about a third goes to cost of goods. So payroll, or I'm sorry, occupancy, since we're on rent, where, where, where does that fall? So for a restaurant, you want to keep your occupancy or a gross rent, not just your net rent, but, you know, mm-hmm. CAMS, uh, sure. property tax, property insurance, your gross rent, what you're, what you're what you're paying out each month, including your extra, your additional rent. You want to keep it no more than 10%. So if your restaurant is doing, Mm -hmm. you know, half a million a year, that's 4,000, that's 40,000 a month. You want to have a a total rent that's 4,000 or less. Um, I would say the number one reason I see restaurants underwater, meaning it's, they're not selling. Sure. They're not selling because of the money they're making. They're selling because they're working and making no money is because they're working for the landlord because their rent is 16, 17, 20% or more of their, of their, of their monthly sales. And when you're already working from that disadvantage, it's very hard to turn a profit. So is that, is that a matter of renegotiating your, your, your lease or is it, you know what, you got a crappy business and there's nothing we can do. Well, I mean, so, well, so you're, you're doing a commercial for, we sell restaurants. So oh, that's the, what I'm about. <laughs> the, the, the owners of our company put out a book. It's called appetite for acquisition. It's available on Amazon. That was not a plug, but there's an entire um, chapter about resells versus building from scratch, especially as it relates to franchises. So, you know, my advice is if you're buying an existing business, which is what we're talking about, look at the P&L, look at the sales they're doing, look at a two or three year history, look at the rent. If the rent is consistently 10% or less, then you know you're in a good place. If you're starting a new business, whether it's a new franchise or let's say you're, let's say you're buying an asset. So we haven't talked about asset sales, but a lot of times people sell restaurants that are not profitable. They just want to get out. Someone sees a beautiful build out that would cost them a quarter of a million dollars. They can get into the space for half that money, but they're not going to keep it a sandwich shop. They're going to make it a pizza joint. Then um, make sure you have a realistic sales plan. Don't sign off on a $9,000 a month rent in a 3,000 square foot location in the metropolitan area if you only think you're going to do $600,000 a year. You're never going to make any money. So if you're buying an existing restaurant, it's easy. 
look at the sales, look at the rent. <laughs> if you're going to open up a new business, have a realistic sales plan, and then look to see what the rent is and it makes sense. I mean, can you go back to a landlord and negotiate? Maybe, but yeah. if it's a, it depends on demand. You know, if they think they can I, lease that space for, you know, for, for, for that rate and put a paint store in there, then that's what they're going to do. I'll tell you what, I, I, I've, I've known a lot of landlords and, and there's, there's not a whole lot of motivation. If I got a lease with a personal guarantee that I don't have a lot of motivation to do anything, but no one wants a lawsuit to have to go no. after the money. And, and the yeah. interesting thing about landlords is, you know, most of them are more concerned with the valuation of the property than the income yeah. that they're generating. So if, you know, if the building is valued at $30 a square foot, they would rather sometimes leave a space open for a few months at $30 a square foot than lease it at $20 a square foot because in that, that, that devalues the real estate. So, you know, most, most tenants aren't, don't kind of understand that dynamic, but that's why landlords don't like to go down on rent. They'd rather give you TI money. No, no. They'd rather I, give you TI money and raise the rent. So totally understand. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with, yeah. with that. I'm just, I'm just saying that the reluctance is, you know, there's not a, there's not a whole lot of motivation. Well, but- and, and coming out of COVID real quick, you know, you had landlords that did nothing for the tenants. Mm-hmm. You had landlords that, and, and some didn't even, some of the tenants didn't even understand it. They abated their rent, which was the most generous thing. They actually said, you don't have to, you, you can only pay me 10% of your sales for these months because I know you're struggling. And then other landlords deferred. Right where they yep. said you can pay yep. me less now, but you're gonna have to pay me later, which was just moving yep. the nut forward. But you're right, yep. landlords don't have a lot. Some are great. I'm like I've only worked with 200 100. landlords in my career. Some are great, some are not. But at the end of the day, they're worried about the value of their property and collecting their money. Hundred percent. No, and and again, I mean that's they they have a business yeah. too. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so. Continuing down our income statement. Mm-hmm. So our payroll, what's what's our labor cost? What what's a good labor cost to make okay. it saleable? So 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 let's say we're at 30 to 35% cost of goods. Yep. And cost of goods could include restaurant supplies like paper, you know, people do mm-hmm. accounting is done differently. So say 30 to 35%. L- labor, if you're an owner operator, you own a, a small Italian restaurant or a sandwich shop. And you're there 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you know, running the place, then honestly, you want to get your labor as close to 20% of sales as possible. Um, if you're an absentee or semi-absentee, so now you've got a general manager making a premium salary, who's also, you know, who's who's kind of taking the place of the owner, um, you, you ideally you want to be at 25%. Um, those look, those numbers, especially in this environment, are harder to hit. So, you know, maybe those numbers are now up to 30%, but the, the, the most successful restaurants. And the other thing you think about is if you own, let's call it a, like a, a sports bar. Yep. Your servers don't even have to make minimum because they're making tips. So you can pay them, I don't know, two cents, whatever that number is. Mm-hmm. Same thing with your bartenders because they're making a lot of money on tips. So most of your salary is in your management and then in your back of house. So you got to just kind of watch your back of house expense, you know, how much, what kind of, yeah. If you're serving $40 dishes, you know, $30 dishes, steaks and seafood, you can afford an $80,000 chef. If you're serving, yeah. you know, chicken wings and hush puppies, you know, yeah. you've got to manage your back of house chef. But I would say 20 yeah. to 25% is the ideal range. So 
And and then lastly, you had you've said it a couple times that you know your 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 pre tax profit should be between um, uh, roughly between five and and fifteen percent. Yeah, that's that's okay. typically what I see. There are certainly exceptions. Um, right. I mean, look, I, I've seen. I'm in the. I've got a deal in contract now. It's a Latin American restaurant in New Jersey, and they are in 2,400 square feet, and I think 1,800 square feet of it is kitchen. They have no sit down. They do seven figures, <laughs> and their rent's like four thousand a month. So wow. their rent is like less than four percent in net sales. That additional five or six points that rolls right through to the bottom line. So they're, they're running at like a 22% EBITDA. So Good it's, you know, each business has its own character to it. But if you're a restaurant owner, understanding, you know, you want cost of goods under 35, labor under 25 and rent under 10, then when you add in, which I think is where this conversation is going, your utilities, your credit card fees, your licensing, yeah. your, your, your repairs and maintenance, um, you know, all, all the other, you know, trash removal, yeah. all, all those other things aside, let's say they're under the 15 or 20% of sales, you should then be left with, you know, again, around 10% for yourself, you know, five to 15, I would say is, you know, it's kind of more of a range. Yeah. All right. I wanted to move into structures. Um, and, and the first thing is, um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is the difference between a lifestyle type restaurant where, you know, it's an owner operator and, and, and they're, you know, they're sleep eating and breathing it. And conversely, I want to talk about, you know, I don't want to say an actual business, but because that's not how, how it, I mean it to come across. But like I was telling you that my daughter, you know, she works for a company and it is a machine here. I mean, multiple, multiple locations, you know, operates, you know, there's different levels of management. It is, it is a, a truly, truly a machine. And, and so, so my, my question is, you know, I know that the, the buyer pool is higher for the first one. So the life, the lifestyle ones, because just simply because there's, there's more, you know, it, there, it's easier to buy. Conversely, the larger operations, um, I think it's, I think it's more difficult, um, just only because it's harder to, um, to bring the secret sauce that makes that business special, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, what's, what's a you? Uh, it, it's, it varies. So it, the toughest restaurant to sell and value is one where it's a chef operator for the reasons uh, you get, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at that point, when he leaves the, you know, the, the, the quality of food, which is what most people are going for leaves. Now, mm -hmm. If, if you have a large operation, and, and again, I, I've, I've literally sold restaurants from $40,000 where it's just a seller wanting to get out mm -hmm. up to, you know, $2 million, whether it's a single store or multi unit. And if the, if the owner is more the operator, you know, the scheduling, mm -hmm. the hiring, the financials, yeah. then, then it's, then it's an easier sale because you know, a great chef is a, is, is a lot harder to come by, especially, you know, 
mock, you know, mirroring that cuisine than someone who just is efficient operation. So, so as mm -hmm. far as, you know, it being lifestyle and again, like just, you know, in, in any business brokerage business, you got to understand the, the makeup of the business you're selling. Is it owner operated? Is absentee owner owned? Is there a GM in place? And, and what is the owner's role? Because, because the buyer, like I said, they're buying a business, they're buying an income, but they're also buying a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if, if that individual is strong operationally, but horrible in the kitchen, then you're not going to recommend yeah. a restaurant that is chef driven. And on the contrary, if they're, if they're a chef and they want to buy their own place, then finding a place that's chef driven is actually appealing to them. So it really, it's, it's, you know, I always tell my clients when they say, how long is it going to take to sell a restaurant, all these other things. I say, this is like a marriage, you know, it, it's just finding the right buyer and the right seller at the right time. And that could take days, weeks, months, or sometimes even years. Mm. And, and again, for all the reasons you just brought up, you, you just want to make sure that, it, that it's a good fit and that the skill set of the buyer and, mm. and the infrastructure that the seller is leaving behind will mesh. So when you're moving into deals, I mean, and, and keeping all of that in mind, what are the structures you're seeing? What, what, um, mm -hmm. you know, how, you know, everybody fails to understand that, you know, it's one thing about buying a job, but it's, it, you're really, this is, this is an investment like anything else. So, so I'm trying to mitigate my risk in, in making this kind of investment. So what are the structures you're seeing, you know, who's financing, mm -hmm. um, you know, is there any any rough rough structures that you can share? Well, there's there's basically four different ways to finance a restaurant. There's cash, which is king. Amen. There's seller financing, where the buyer brings some dollar amount to the table, and the seller holds a note for the rest. Um, there's SBA lending, which is I think a lot of what a lot of what um, buyers feel they can get, and then there are some there's some unsecured lending approaches where they're not really, they're lending based on other factors of the buyer, not necessarily the, the, the performance of the business. Um, the thing that everyone looking to buy or sell a restaurant has to keep in mind, especially the buyers, is that the buyer needs, to, with an SBA loan, the buyer needs to collateralize the loan. And what I mean by that is when you buy a house, they do an appraisal on the house, they'll lend you up to a certain percent of the value of the house, if you don't pay your mortgage, they're going to take your house. You don't have that when you're selling your restaurant because the value of the restaurant, as we talked about, is in the earnings. It's in the sales. It's not in the value of some used equipment that may be worth fifty dollars or $100,000. So when you're doing an SBA loan, you have to – the SBA or the bank is going to want the buyer to take a second mortgage on your house, possibly become a beneficiary of your real estate. It's very requiring, which – Look, it adds to the risk if you're doing an SBA loan, but sometimes that is by far the, the best route to go. Now, the deals that best qualify for SBA loans, to answer your question, larger price deals. Most SBA lenders want to see something at least above $250,000 price point and, and at least two, two or three years of tax returns. And they want to make sure that the debt service is there. So when, when someone's buying a restaurant, the SBA is going to say, okay, Here's the verifiable sale of discretionary yeah. earnings. Here's what the note's going to look like. Here's what the buyer needs to live on. You know, if, if the restaurant's making 10000 a month 
and the buyer says they need five and the SBA note is going to be three, that's fairly easy math because they have enough to cover the note. And right. the so, so well, well-established restaurants, good books and records, profitable, um, at least three years of, of books and records over 250, I'd say is a basic threshold. You're good to go with SBA if that's the direction you want to go. And you can get SBA, you know, loans for 20% or less of the purchase price. So, okay. you know, you can buy a $200,000 restaurant with $40,000 down plus, you know, closing costs and some operating capital. Um, if SBA isn't the way to go and you don't have the cash, then seller financing is certainly an option. That's where the seller will carry a note for a certain amount for a period of time. We do a fair amount of those. But people that sell restaurants, they're not banks. So, you know, typically there, you want the buyer to come to the table with 50, 60, 70% of the purchase price, then have the seller hold a note for the balance. So in this example of a $200,000 restaurant, if a buyer can bring 100 or 150 to the table, but can't get the whole amount, then maybe the seller will hold a 50 or $75,000 note for a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, so, so those are the main, and then obviously cash and, you know, um, you don't see a lot of those, but you do see some cash notes. Well, I'll tell you, it, it is hard, especially with the SBA climate, the lending climate that, that we're seeing mm-hmm. for like, if, if I'm looking at two, two businesses and one is a restaurant and another is you now a manufacturing company and I can take that same hundred grand and I can, I can put it into a restaurant versus a manufacturing company, the the risk seems easier or less than if I if I go to say manufacturing or something like that. And that and and that's kind of where, where I'm heading with my next question is you have let's let's just say you have the same you have two businesses, two two restaurants doing the same amount of of, of of revenue, same amount of earnings, yet they sell differently. The the multiple te- will be different depending on what and fill in the blank. I, because that I think every business, every every uh, operator, every restaurant operator is sitting there going, you know, my business is worth more than that person, and I understand that I'm out in the suburbs, they're downtown. You know what I'm assuming the location does, but what other things? You know, I'm. I'm <laughs> forgive me. I'm answering your own no, qu- no, my, no, my own question. I under, no, I, I hear where you're coming from. I mean, the short answer is they should sell for the same amount, assuming they're both either independents or franchises. Now, as we talked about earlier, for for reasons, franchises work off a higher multiple. Mm-hmm. So where independents, the multiple is two to two and a half times earnings. Franchises, we use two and a half to three times earnings. Begin because of, of the security with the franchise. So taking that differentiate that differential out, saying they're both independents, they theoretically should sell for the same mm-hmm. amount. However, have they both been in business the same number of years? You know, one may have been in business yeah. for three years, one in business for 30 years. The one for 30 years has a little bit more of, of a comfort level. Yeah. Um, the, the caliber of the lease. You know, mm-hmm. one of them, the lease is expired. You're going to have to renegotiate mm-hmm. a new lease that hasn't been renegotiated for 10 years. The landlord's looking to get more money versus this guy has a 20 year lease with three options to renew. So there's, there, there, there's comfort in the lease, right? That oh, the lease is okay. your single biggest fixed expense. So, yep. so longevity, quality of the lease 
and then actually quality of the books. Um, I've seen a lot of restaurants where the value, the, the, the cash flow or earning, well, the, the term is seller discretionary earnings. Discretionary right. earnings is cash flow on paper plus non-operating personal expenses, takeout depreciation, what you're paying yourself, you know, those types of things. Um, if, if you've got a very clean P&L and the, the earnings is the bottom line cash flow, that's more attractive than if you have a, a money P&L and all the earnings are in on my auto and what I'm paying myself. So, you know, again, it kind of goes back to the whole valuation yeah. model. Quality of the books, lease, longevity. Well, and what prompted the question is is years ago when when we were when we were in this type of business we we had a portfolio of subways right? and there was fifteen of these things and and he wanted to sell them individually <laughs> the family didn't want to keep it and we we you know you could have nearly identical businesses but in two different parts of the state and <laughs> they sold for different amounts which and and like like you he's like what well, you know what the hell is wrong i mean it's the same business yeah. and yeah it, anyway, that's i uh, mean the only thing i can think of there could be the buyer pool you know buying yeah, pool. you agree. know it's certainly um the restaurant i mentioned earlier that i sold where the, the owner wasn't you know he was the operator not the chef that was in a small town outside of yeah. burlington vermont um so you get a lot less people looking at that listing, but yeah. usually the cow of the buyer is better. So you know, it could it could be buying pool, but if it's yeah. two subways with identical numbers, it's just uh, yeah, it, they they should sell for some unless well, the fun, you know. well, the funny the 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 moral to that story is that it was it was they ultimately did not sell individually we we yeah. we found a an operator that just bought them all and called it a day and <laughs> you know, sometimes that, that's the that's the best way to go for the yeah. client as well i will tell you that in franchises though even within the franchise space or even in the same space certain brands like anything else in life are hotter than others you know you could have a subway a jimmy john's and a firehouse with the same numbers and they'll yeah. sell for different prices because of the sure. Of the appeal of a certain. That's good. No, that's a great example. A hundred percent. All right. Well, so I'm bumping up on time. And my last question mm -hmm. is one that I ask everyone before they leave is what's the one piece of advice that you could give to the business owners, you know, in, in this type of industry that would have the most immediate impact on their business or, or their restaurant? From a not only from a value standpoint, but a saleability standpoint. It's, back to what we kind of touched on earlier is you may have a passion for food or a passion for service. Yeah. But what sells restaurants or, you know, are your most recent financials? Um, the, the old adage, and it may be in all, in all walks of the industry, is people, people value on the finances, but they buy in the potential. So you can't tell me your restaurant yeah. should sell for more because it has a ton of potential. Yeah. Because my question is, then why haven't you realized it? Um, yeah. So if you're thinking of selling your restaurant in the next 12 to 36 months, and that's a long stretch, but sure. I've, had, I've had clients I spoke to back in 2000 and you know, 17 and 18 that finally come to me in 21 and 22 that want to sell their restaurant, yep. is get, get your financials in order. Not just 
not just make sure you report all the cash and, and, and try not to put a lot of personal expenses through the business, but what we talked about earlier, analyze your numbers. What is your cost of goods running? If your cost of goods is running in the low 30s, you're fine. Don't don't fix it if it's not broke. But if you're running in the high 30s or low 40s, figure out why. Is your pricing too low? Um, is your uh, are, are you are your portions too big? Is is there theft? Um, you know, so 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 looking at cost, yeah. look look at your numbers. Are you earning that five to fifteen percent? And certainly closer to the fifteen is better. To help sell your restaurant, because then that'll help you help you value the restaurant. For, for, mm-hmm. for anyone who owns a restaurant that's thinking of selling, the math is very simple. Your restaurant should value. This is kind of you know generic, but sure. should sure. value at around one third of your net sales. And the way you get to that is if you're doing six hundred thousand in sales, one third of that is two hundred. If you're doing six hundred thousand in sales and you're making fifteen percent, that's ninety. Two to two and a half ninety is also two hundred. So it's just kind of math, yeah. but 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 make sure that you're cash flowing properly, um, mm-hmm. and that your your again your P and L ties to your tax return. It's, it ties to your sales tax filings, and then you've made my job much easier finding you a buyer, right. and also then getting you lending because what I'm telling you to do is the same thing the lenders are going to look for. 100%. So, so, so getting your, your, your finances in order, doing it over a period of time, even if you're biting the bullet and paying a little bit more in federal tax and things like that, you, if, if you can improve your cash flow on your restaurant by $10,000, that may cost you another thousand or two in taxes, but that increases the value of your restaurant by 20 to 25. It's tenfold. Yeah, I get it. Well, my friend. So, what's the best way can we get? Uh, how do how do how do we find you? So, our our company is We Sell Restaurants. Our website is WeSellRestaurants.com. Um, you, you you Google search us, we come up to page one, and we probably have any given time have close to six hundred listings on our website, and um, nice. all of our contact information is there as well as our current listings. Uh, my email address is Steve at WeSellRestaurants.com. And uh, my phone number is 770-714-4552. So any of those ways you can reach us or, or reach me specifically. And just one quick thing to add on as long as I've got this. Um, you, oh, I'm just off my train of thought. You're going to have to edit that one out. That's uh, no worries. Sorry, I just, I just lost that one. No worries. Okay. Um, so- oh, no, I'm sorry. Do, can, I, can I go back and do that one again? Yeah. So, so one thing I do want to add when, when most business brokers are this way, not all. When you when you work with myself at We Sell Restaurants, we we will do a valuation for you at no cost, no obligation, and and you know, and it's confidential. And when we list, it's the same thing. We list in confidence. We don't put the name of your restaurant out there so everyone knows what it is. And like most like most brokers. You pay us nothing until we get you to the closing table. So reaching out to us, what is my restaurant worth? How long does it take? Can you give me some advice to make it more sellable? These are things we do every day and we do it in the hopes of, of building relationships. You know what? And, and same, you know, we have a 41 year old practice, you know, we've sold 2200 deals and, and I'm telling you that, you know, People like us and people like you, we we stay in business because of the generosity of of the information we we provide and 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 knowing you guys because you guys are we refer 
to you guys. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I know that you're, I know, I know you're a great shop. So, hey, Steve, you know what? I appreciate your, your time today. It's, uh, you know, it, it, I can't, um, I can't overestimate or over, over, uh, I got emphasize. The, yeah. I, I, I can't overemphasize just, just what, how difficult selling restaurants is and mm-hmm. it, it it's it's a different animal and so i'm i am so grateful that you took the time to to kind of you, you really made a complex sale situation a lot simpler so i appreciate your time buddy no, we appreciate the opportunity to, to to you know to speak to you and, and 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 your podcast attendees and again we're happy to help we're, we're very yeah, we're very know. you know easy folks to deal with and, and we're happy to help well, my friend, well, thanks so much and keep keep selling. And I, I'll, I'll be following up to, to see how uh, 23 is uh, shaping up for you later in the year. So far, so good, Ed. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved. <laughs>